0: I remember it was February twenty fourth and you know we got word that Russia was invading and my team they just started going offline. Uh they were on Slack and they just started losing. I I remember that the internet went out briefly. They lost connectivity to the whole, you know, the whole country's infrastructure went down. And so we're I'm waiting on Slack trying to message my coworkers. And I'm like, Are you okay? What's happening? No response, no connection. We have no idea what's happening. And when they come back online, they're fleeing. In PM
1: radio.
0: Here in PM radio.
1: Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to the Reluctant Agilist. This is gonna be a really exciting podcast and a really long podcast, I hope. Um, So, Zach Stone is here. He's back. So, Zach, thank you for taking time out of your afternoon. Yeah, it's my Um, pleasure. And just to kind of lay out the roadmap for everybody who's listening, we're going to talk about a lot of Zach's experiences working with teams uh, during the pandemic and during some other things that have happened since the pandemic, like what's going on in the Ukraine and how uh, the work that he's done has forced him to change his approach to interacting with teams, helping teams stay together. Um, And he comes to it from a really unique background. So, um, w- how would you describe your background to the folks that are listening?
0: Very varied. Uh, <laughs> so uh, my title right now is delivery manager. Um, uh, but before that I was a scrum master. And before that I was a, a consultant and a facilitator. Um, I got started way back in 1999 as a junior facilitator working in uh, crisis and conflict intervention, getting, getting trained, um, in some programs for youth. Cause I was a teenager at that point and uh, ended up getting eventually into social services, uh, doing crisis management, and then ending up in the corporate world because we felt like nobody really understood truly how to manage conflict and crisis in corporate environments, especially uh, very fast-paced crisis-oriented places like hospitals uh, and, and um, like tra- transportation uh, emergency response. And so I, I did that for a number of years and eventually had a, a number of developer friends who were like, this type of skills would be great in software development. You know, you you should go be a scrum master. And I'm like, what the heck is a scrum master? Um, So I went back and got all the trainings and um, I fell in love actually with this, this way of building products um, differently and being able to adjust to what's happening in the world around us.
1: Okay. So I, I do have one question coming from the background that you have. I can't imagine that you would have walked into the problems that software teams experience and been like oh my god like the, didn't it just seem like please <laughs> how uh, is this hard i mean it's, it's not that there's it's, not conflict yeah. and it matters but it's not like the scale of the stuff you were dealing with
0: yeah no the scale was really different and i would say it was nice actually for a while to have a slightly different scale um, my education was behavioral science uh, my college education and i did find though that a lot of it's different scale, but a lot of those same problems did exist. People felt like they were being oppressed by group process, or they felt like, you know, they couldn't communicate with their peers, they were going to strangle them, uh, or people were dealing with drug addiction, and they weren't showing up Mm -hmm. to work. They were, um, you know, just really disengaged and burnout. And so while that's not maybe the same as like police and fire, um, there were definitely bus drivers and transit operators who had really similar experiences.
1: Okay. That might be an interesting one to come back and do another time. I've had people with substance issues as well, and I don't think I've handled it particularly well.
0: Oh, well, it's uh, hard. I yeah, don't know what's Maybe, handle maybe it we
1: could do another health. one on that. <laughs> 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 All right. So let's talk about what happened for you. You were doing some work, and then the pandemic began with a bunch of other stuff, too.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, so I'll, I'll ask you this: I mean, David, is is there, in your opinion, more or less uncertainty and complexity in the world today than when you were when you were younger, when you started in the workforce?
1: I think there's more, but I also think that I have a better tool set than I did when I started. Hmm. And I a, think a lot a of that point. is also background, because I know that when I got started, being a white male who lived in New York City, I believe that I was kind of a pivotal point in the center of the universe. And I could just tell everyone what to do and that would fix all the problems.
0: Yeah. I I think that's a really great, (laughs) no, but it's a really um, normal style that a lot of people learn from a management perspective. And I think a lot of leadership was focused around do as I say, not as I do. And this new paradigm of work, people are asking for, they're demanding something different. I think asking is not the right term. They're demanding a different way that their managers will act Um, they want different interactions.
1: Yeah. And that, I think that's hard on both sides, right? Because I know that they need different things and the people that are at the management level don't have the tools most of the time to even see what they want, let alone know how to respond.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I started as a, as a facilitator in the late nineties, but the program that I was trained in was really, I mean, it was really different. It was focused on crisis and conflict intervention, but I, I remember, you know, like as I learned about the Scrum model, which was created in the '90s, also that Scrum was created in a, in a simpler time, um, and I have noticed that a lot of the trainers that I've gone, you know, gone to for the CSM training that uh, they don't spend a lot of time on the communication and crisis end of things. One of my trainers spent about a half hour on uh, nonviolent communication. And that that was it. And I don't fault them for that. It just wasn't the focus of the training. Which uh, is a half an that, hour
1: more than most students right, spend. Right.
0: On. <laughs> and, and, and I'd argue that the human side of this job is definitely the hardest part from what I've heard from my peers and my own, my own experience. I mean, I can understand estimation. I can understand planning and refinements and how the framework works. But The complexities of people when they're in crisis or you know trying to do performance management is is hard it's like really
1: hard so i have one more question about this because now with what you just said when i i'm I'm curious to your reaction to this because i think it's Mm going to be a little bit in opposition when i'm teaching the course i talk a lot about social engineering and to me understanding what's going on and how to create opportunities for the things I want to occur to take place, hopefully with good intent. Um, That's kind of how I come at it from, but you're coming at it from a much more empathetic, like take care of the person approach, right? I'll
0: say that it's a mix. I certainly use social engineering techniques, and I would say that a lot. Most counselors do as well. Most of what we were, I was taught originally, and what counselors are taught, are forms of social engineering. But the purpose okay. is really for the elevation of the other person, rather than in some traditional social engineering where the purpose is for the elevation of you as the engineer. Um, and so, oh, I, okay. I would assume, I would wow. assume that you also are, are working in that model of trying to elevate your team and the people you're working with.
1: Yeah, it's never occurred to me to. <laughs> <laughs> that's been, it. it's not ever been part of the equation for me, but yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. Totally. I mean, you said it, you said, look, with good intent. And I think that yeah. really is the key, but I certainly am like Christopher Hagdagney's book on social engineering. And, you know, I read that, yeah. and love it. Right. I mean, so awesome. totally, you know, if you look at, you read that book, it's like, I can think of textbooks I had in college around behavioral science, very similar stuff in there.
1: Right. So, wow. That's great that you called out that book. You're the only other person I know that's read it. Oh, Um, it's a great
0: book. It's super (laughs) cool.
1: Yeah. So I'm going to include a link to that and also to the other interview that we did so people can get a sense of, because we talk a lot about that stuff in in that interview as well. Yeah.
0: Um, Look, I saw uh, my mom actually sent me an article yesterday. It was the cover of, it was the cover of a magazine, not an article, it was Foreign Affairs. She sent me the cover of Foreign Affairs and it's a magazine that's been around for a hundred years. It's their centennial issue and it's entitled The Age of Uncertainty. And I think that feels really appropriate because- Mm -hmm. Um, you know, what I want to talk about today is sort of like how we navigate through this age of uncertainty with our teams, because a lot of the things that I learned, uh, about working with teams are from earlier times, the sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties, when a lot of seminal team building theory was created, um, T groups with Lewin, things like that. And all that stuff is valid, but almost like none of my teams are in the same space together. They're mostly distributed across the world, different time Mm -hmm. zones. And we've had just two years of a pandemic and like one of my teams is literally in the middle of a war zone. Um, and so, you know, the things that I learned aren't as applicable. I've really had to adjust and change my playbook to match what's happening now rather than rely on things that I learned years ago. Um, and that's what I'd love to get into today with you. Cool.
1: Yeah. So we are going to get to the Ukraine stuff. I I just first want to focus on how things change with the teams, because that is a a question I'm getting in every class, and I feel like when the pandemic arrived, all of our answers were like, "Oh, it's just a distributed team. Just learn about culture, talk a lot, and everything will be fine." But everything around them and their whole world was changing. It wasn't just we're all just you know we're all at home now. I mean,
0: no, the paradigm and the way in which we work, the way you exist in the world was changing. Like people were stuck inside their house if they were sort of following the guidelines, um, and everything changed for people. So people were sort of struggling with this stuff that was happening in their world at home. And I, I think um, for maybe the first time in, in, in sort of modern work history, that stuff was 100% spilling into their work lives. I mean, it was really hard for people to separate. The, the, we just were talking about it all the time. And so you had to be ready to talk about tough topics, personal topics that maybe people didn't talk about in the workplace before. Um, and that required for me to do that and navigate that. That really required me to bring a trauma informed, trauma sensitive lens. Um, otherwise, I would have been. I, I was alienating people at certain times, and so I really had to check myself and say, "Are you using your training?" I know that you're burned out, dude. All right. But that's 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 not good enough. You have to try to rise above because your role is is also about team health and well being. So you need to sort of be that that um, example.
1: So you you had tools to bring to bear there. I have two things I want to raise as examples from my own background. So one was, um, I I felt a lot of tension between myself. We were a family that was like, mask up, wear gloves, don't leave, like yeah. super, super cautious. And I have family members and coworkers and other people who are like, ah, it's nothing. Um, and, and it's hard It was impossible for me not to like get this like judgment engine running because I couldn't see their point of view and I didn't really want to. And the other thing that was happening to me was I where for me and my family, like us being at home together was a great thing. I mean that we got like a blessing from that. But one of my colleagues, he's a single guy, younger, not super confident in his apartment by himself. His girlfriend had left him. And, I mean, it was just, like, you could see the decline of, of his, like, mental stability. And I don't know what to do with that. I don't know how to help somebody like that.
0: It was an incredibly lonely time for a lot of people. Um, I have my wife, and we're insanely close. And I would say the pandemic brought us closer together. But I know that's not the experience that everyone had. Um, yeah. I, don't, I don't know that you always... Can or need to do something for everybody, but sometimes just a a kind word or reaching out can be enough for people to know that someone does care about me. And 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 specifically reaching about out about stuff that's not work. So like reaching out to ask like what the status of a Jira ticket is or where that code <laughs> that the code you know peer review is if it's done. That is not yeah. the same thing as reaching out. If you are going to reach out, don't talk about work stuff. Just you know, how are you doing? Um, and that's, and maybe that's it. And you may get no response whatsoever, but I heard from a number of people who were pretty lonely throughout this pandemic that just knowing that people cared about them, even though they weren't capable of interacting back in a meaningful way, that was helpful to them, uh, in, in, in small ways. And so I think that, that in itself, just being present, um, and not being a jerk when a lot of other people are burned out is, is, is good. And that's the best you can do sometimes.
1: And is that something you find is continuing? I mean, now we are arguably at the tail end of the pandemic. Um, things seem to be sort of normal again. Is that as important now as it was before? Has it become like a, a thing that's expected or needed? I think that while
0: we are at the tail end of some of the physical damage from the pandemic, the loss of, of commerce and financial stability for some people, um, The loss of life and family, the change to society in some ways, uh, political unrest, uh, the uncertainty around, you know, geopolitical conflicts with China and Russia and the United States, um, internal political conflicts in the United States. Uh, I think that there is still this high level of uncertainty um, and with a lot of people who left during the Great Resignation there was not a lot of backfilling in some cases. And so people are carrying the torch for other people that have left and you have more burnout because of all the, the people that left. Um, so I think that the way in which you reach out you may do it for different reasons, but I think continuing to try to build a psychologically safe environment that never goes out of fashion.
1: Okay. So if I am somebody who's, I had somebody in class the other day who wanted to check in on ways to help our team maintain their teamness basically like they were they're distributed she's having trouble keeping them together and and all that stuff at least the stuff that i went through in the beginning where the company was like oh let's play an in cahoots trivia game or let's have a virtual happy hour or a virtual escape room which i still do not freaking get at all like all those things for me they didn't they pushed me further away but this person was asking like what should she do
0: I think it depends on the state of the team. Okay. So when I, when we first had the pandemic kickoff, I was just joining a team. It was March, 2020. I came in and the company said, you're all working from home, like my first week. And this team was a pretty close team already. And so I was able to effectively use the team building exercises and icebreakers. And we did virtual escape rooms and they worked well, but that was oh, early wow. in the okay. pandemic. I mean, that was early. And we all kind of bonded through the trauma. It's like trauma bonding is a thing. And those things were, they were sort of side effects of the fact that this group had a lot of trust and we we okay. really had a lot of psychological safety. And so that stuff just assisted. But for yeah. my teams that I joined a year or, or so into the pandemic, um, we struggled. I tried team building exercises, icebreakers. I tried uh, gift cards, escape rooms. I tried team lunches. Nothing landed. It just made people more frustrated and more isolated. They felt like they couldn't connect. It felt artificial. Um, and so I had to try. I, I, what we ended up doing was creating a policy of meeting people where they're at. And what that meant was, if in in like major crisis when things were really bad with the pandemic, and one of my teams was is, was in Ukraine um we adopted this policy of like if you can make it to stand up great if you can't make it to stand up no problem if you can make it to refinement great if you can't no problem if you get your work done would love it if you did um but i'm not going to come after you if stuff's not getting done that's really up to you to decide what you can handle truly pushing uh, for as much autonomy as possible and just support yeah. constantly drilling come as you are you're not going to get in trouble some of you are contractors. Your job is not at risk. We're going to take care of you, and just like making people feel as protected as possible. And that may not always be possible in every environment. But yeah. um, what we, what I did was go to senior leadership around the team, and, and I, I was feeling particularly protective at that time. But just said, this is the situation. If you want to keep people, if you do not want this entire project to fall on its face, the things that we've been doing in the past, throw them out the window the way that we're going to report and status is going to change the way that we're going to communicate with you is going to change the way that you're going to interact with the team is going to change and if you got a problem with this you can figure something else out um, and and thankfully they they heard it they they heard it and they they had our backs 100% but the artificial team building stuff doesn't didn't work people needed to see real shows of support safety they needed to truly know that someone had their back not just to catch them during a trust fall
1: Yeah, well, what's interesting? I mean, you use the word "artificial," and that that word really like strikes a chord for me because so much of it did feel fake. And and the, the other thing is, you know, you're saying, you know, come when you can, come in whatever state you're in. So if you're like a mess today, that's fine. That seems to me like the type of response I would see for a team if there was like an earthquake or a flood. And I think arguably we had as dramatic an event happening, it just didn't look like an earthquake or a flood because nobody saw anybody. Yeah, you, you it wasn't know like that. buildings were falling down. It was just like the streets were empty. And the hospitals no, were full. But we I mean,
0: we see the effects of this now with nurses and doctors uh, resigning in mass, we see increased drug addiction, um, we see increased poverty and, and jobs that were lost in the service industry, people are finding their way back. But I don't think anyone can argue that many of our major cities are, are, are struggling because of the amount of people that are in proximity together and the, the challenges with social services in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, it's just, I think the public health effects of this are not even going to be known for a number of years. And so, yeah, well, it's mental not- health, right. Mental health. Mental health. Um, you're right. It's and so like you mentioned isolation <laughs> and people that are 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 struggling with connecting, um, we I don't even know what the stats are at this point, but yeah, it's, we had a number of pandemics happening at once, not just the the virus, but also this mental health pandemic um, that yeah. is is still, we're still catching up with.
1: I think there's also a silent kind of impact too. Like just as an example, like my daughter was in co- freshman year of college when the pandemic began. So she didn't go to school. She didn't see anybody. Like everything that happens in college that for me is like, what I remember from college, none of it has to do with class. It's all the social stuff and, and seeing people and, and learning to be a young adult who makes really bad decisions, like all that stuff, none of that, there was no opportunity for that. Yeah. And so it, it looks like, Oh, you're fine. You're not sick. You're home. Everything's good. But there's this other thing. Like if you're not going to work, if you're not interacting, if you're not able to do the stuff that keeps your life having like a pace and a rhythm, just like dead time it's weird
0: yeah i i think that in some ways that can be the benefit of the scrum process in the sense that it is repeatable it's something that people know is coming you can in some cases the team started to rely on the stand-up as a thing that they knew with certainty would be there every day and even if people didn't like it they were showing up in some ways because it was a consistent element in a sea of inconsistency And so some of that level of constant repeatability of the scrum cycle, um, can create benefit for people, uh, that you just, you know what it is, you know, how it works and it's going to keep happening in similar ways every, every two weeks or whatever your time
1: box is. Yeah. That was a masterful segue into stabilization. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I know, um, I know that's one of the things that we're going to talk about. So, yeah,
0: I mean, so I'll, I'll say this: I made a lot of mistakes during this process, even as a person who's trained in behavioral science. And I, I know others must have been struggling who don't necessarily have that that level of training into this work. Um, a couple of things that I learned that lead into this concept of stabilization the cameras, uh, cameras, you know, normally cameras are this great thing because seeing people's faces improves communication. You know, you and I debated keeping the camera on for this mm-hmm. talk. Um, it can reduce conflict, but also when people are burned out and they just don't have the energy, it's hard to force people to do things that require energy and being on camera and having people watch you does take emotional energy it may not be a lot, yeah. but it's emotional energy that people don't have to spend forcing people to go to social events like happy hour. People don't want to spend any more time at work. Uh, they don't they don't want to spend more time on Zoom, um, yeah. even if the topic is good. Zoom is just it's draining to be having a group of people watching you. And so let people turn the cameras off. um let yeah. them let them turn the cameras off. Also, sometimes just let people do what they need to do. I started early with the the crisis in Ukraine, like talking to my team and being like, "Are you okay and asking lots of questions?" And then I realized that they didn't want to talk about it. They, they wanted to be distracted. Yeah. And I think that, that ended up being true for the pandemic as well. At a certain point, I, I don't remember what the cutoff was, but people were tired of talking about it. They didn't want to talk about psychological safety. They didn't want to talk about the pandemic. They didn't want to talk about the pain they were experiencing. They wanted to avoid it. And so sometimes it's good just to let people focus on the, the things that are good in their life and not talk things to death. Just let them be distracted if they need it. Um, and uh, And the caveat there is don't let that drag on forever because at a certain point I should have come back to my one team and, and probably asked them more questions earlier than I did. But I was afraid. I was afraid to open up certain cans of worms and I was afraid they weren't ready. Um, but the way in which I did end up handling that was saying, I went to some of the team on the side, not in a group setting and said, Hey, can I ask you a couple of questions? And then started to sort of gauge their interest in talking, um, pushing people into a group setting and forcing them to talk, that can be hard because that's social pressure. So I would say uh, go to people individually to connect and see how they're doing. Don't force them to talk about it in the group.
1: So I have a question about that. So you have a team in the Ukraine that was there during, I mean, is there now during a yeah. lot of the stuff that's going on there, their towns being attacked, they're in crisis. And um, we lived, my family and I live three blocks away from the second tower when nine 11 happened. And, We got out fine. We were super blessed that day. But when people that weren't there to this day, when people talk about it and they, they bring it up, I'm like, I, and it's not that I'm not okay talking about it. I don't want to talk about it with people that weren't there Yeah. because I just feel like, I don't know. It's like, they're taking something from it. And I'm just wondering, like, is that when you're talking to the folks from the Ukraine, you're interested, you care about them, but where is the line? Or if it's somebody who's just had someone die from COVID or whatever, you know?
0: I think, and it's such a great question that you ask, the line goes back to the social engineering conversation. Who are you doing it for? Are you asking that question for your own curiosity because you just, you need to know what's happening? Are you asking it because you legitimately want them to know you care and you're trying to give them some room to talk? And people can be well-meaning, but also ask questions in a way that can be taken the wrong way. And the reality is that when people are experiencing trauma, a lot of things that aren't, uh, meant negatively can be taken (laughs) negatively. And so
1: shit sets you off. Yeah. yeah,
0: So I would say, you know, just, um, gauge where people are at and, and don't press too hard. If people want to talk, they'll just start talking to you. If they don't want to talk, I think you'll get that idea. And I would say, leave it be, um, Don't try to prove that you understand or you know, because you don't like you just sort of laid out about the 9-11 experience. I have I've never had my country invaded. I don't know. And as much as I'm trained in counseling, that doesn't mean that I have some right to come in and try to connect with them. Um, I would say just try to be as human as possible, um, but realize that you are not there. You're not in it and it's not your role to prove to them that you get it Um, if you're trying to look out for them go for it. I'm not trying to dissuade people, but also like check your reasons for why you're doing something. And that's really,
1: so that's you ju- you just said, I don't have the right to, to, I'm wondering, is it like if some, regardless of the type of trauma that they're going through, it's almost like a sign of respect Yes, for them and for what they're going through, percent. Like be there for them, but not don't invade them.
0: Yeah. Really well said. And also the balance is that we are in a workspace. And so, um, you know, we ha- you have to sort of balance like what is appropriate for work, but also work is changing. And I think I constantly have that dialogue with myself. Uh, am I pushing mm-hmm. people to a space that will make them more vulnerable and not in a good way because vulnerability when people are in crisis can be damaging. And that's why I think this conversation about stabilization is so important.
1: Okay. So here's the scenario. I've got a team and we're all going through whatever's going on and- There's one or two people that have been impacted pretty strongly Mm -hmm. get together for a daily scrum or whatever. And one person, it's just the floodgate opens and they're just like, like everything that's happening with them comes pouring out and it's for everyone else. It's going to be awkward and uncomfortable, but you want to be supportive at the same time. Like what suggestions do you have for people when that, because that's happened to me a couple of times in the past three years and I don't know what to do or how to handle it.
0: This used to happen a lot when we were doing workforce development in crisis. People had bottled <laughs> things up for 20 some years and we were coming into their their workspace and saying like, you know, tell us what's going on. And at first people would have a pretty hard shell. And then day two, uh, in some cases, people would just open up and, and, and sort of vomit all over the place, the stuff that they've been holding in forever because it felt safe to do so. Um, And sometimes the stuff that comes out can actually cause damage, not just to the people in the room, but to them, because they had a point where they say, oh, I said too much and now I'm going to actually retreat uh, because I I put too much out there.
1: They're nervous about it.
0: Um, So what I I would reference is that talk that you and I did a couple of years back on motivational interviewing. It's a technique that basically it's reflection where you're kind of holding up a mirror and just saying, you know, that that must be whatever it is that you think that they're expressing, like that must be so scary or frustrating or upsetting um, that that happened to you. I can't imagine, and you might parrot back, you know, X, Y, the Z, this thing that you said, um, I hear you, I get you. And I want us to talk about this at another time because we need to talk about this, this thing or that thing, or this is a really important conversation right. that we shouldn't have right now, but we're gonna have at this date. Um, and sort of okay. reframing it and letting them know that they were heard that they're being recognized um but we're putting a, a box around this so that we can manage everyone's safety um and yeah. you know because not everybody signed up for that and i think if you if you do it if you do it with kindness and you do it respectfully um I've almost never had i don't think I've ever had anyone say like how dare you they have almost always been like yeah okay I probably we well, should talk about this another time
1: Okay. Is it okay on a team to have like as part of your working agreement and understanding? And I'm just gonna say it in the most plain inappropriate way I can, like, everybody here's gonna lose their shit at some point, and we're gonna be there and that's gonna be okay. And we're not gonna you know, we're all there, there's gonna be a point where each one of us is gonna feel like, ah, oh, dude, but our job is to care for each other. So we're gonna find a way to show up and be there even when it's awkward.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I think so, but I also, I think it does depend on the team. So I I've been working with a team who, um, some of the members, they don't have an interest in the team connection. They wanted to show up, get paid, you know, do their work. And that was it. And I think that's a normal, natural response to burnout. Um, and just sometimes mm-hmm. people who are not burned out, just they don't want to k- deal with emotions at work. And I, I would say that that is a naive stance because humans are humans wherever they go.
1: But
0: that's um, kind of the quiet
1: quitting thing too, right. a little bit.
0: Uh, absolutely. Um, but in general, if you have a team that's pretty functional and fairly healthy and you want to try to set some good boundaries, yeah,
1: mm-hmm.
0: absolutely. You can put that, you know, okay. t- ask the team and make sure they want it in there. But I think there's nothing wrong with putting that in there. It's, it's an acknowledgement that we are all human. We will all make mistakes. We will all get upset. We will all have human emotions, and as a team, yeah. we're committing to try to be there for each other as much
1: as as we can. Okay. So you mentioned stabilization. We kind of talked about it a little bit. Can you go into that a little bit deeper? Yeah. Like what that means for the team and how you're going to help foster that.
0: Yeah. So you know, we, in in agility, we have this this shtick about empowered, self organized teams, and it's an extremely useful principle. Um, It really is at the core of healthy uh, functional teams, but it requires a specific mindset from the development team. They have to be in a space of of professional maturity and emotional maturity. They have to be pretty engaged and the, you know, quiet quitting you talked about um, in this world of burnout and pandemic and war, uh, it is hard for people in some cases to make informed decisions about a type of work that often exists in an ideal world. And so rather than sometimes than coming to people and saying, you know, like, what do you want the team to look like? If, no one, if you've never worked in a healthy, high-functional team before, you have no idea what your team should, should look like. Um, and, and that is where stabilization comes in. It's this it's concept from counseling that people are not always in a space yet to know what they need. Um, yes, people inherently do know what their basic needs are. But when you are in crisis and you're in the middle of, of crazy conflict, you were just focused on survival. That is all your brain can process. Um, I'll give you an example. There was a big fire in Philadelphia that burned down a a block, part part of a block in old city, Philadelphia. And my parents' house happened to be in that block and they lost everything, including their pets. And I actually found them wandering around old city that, that morning at 5. AM. And they were in like a state of shock and it was not useful for me to ask them what they wanted. And, And I'll say that my, my mother is a trained trauma-sensitive uh, crisis facilitator, has all these skills. Um, but it didn't matter. When you're in shock, you're in shock. Yeah. And so I didn't say, like, what do you guys want? What do you need? I, I took them. I scooped them up. I brought them back to my house. I said, you're staying here. We put my wife and I put out a bed for them. We got some food. We, and we just we handled things for them because they were not in that space to even know what they needed. Once yeah. we got them to more of a stable place, like two days, three days in, where they could start to critically think, then they started to say, "Well, we should we should follow up on this. We should we should you know start to talk to insurance." Um, yeah. that happens with teams when you know there's layoffs or when someone really integral to the team quits or if someone's family member dies or they get a terminal illness or there's a freaking war. Um, you know, people need support. And you can't just go to them and say, well, all right, well, what do you want to do next? They do need help stabilizing and feeling like their environment is safe. And so um, there are some things that we can do to help people stabilize. We can't. Can I, I just, start. before we, hang hang on. On.
1: I want to kind of highlight one point because I know a bunch of people that have been laid off. Yeah. And I feel like for the people that don't get laid off, the general opinion seems to be, hey, you're safe. You're still here. What are you worried about? But. I don't feel like that's super helpful if everybody around you or all the people you work with got laid off. It doesn't feel safe. I mean, you're stripped of that ability, right?
0: I mean, if someone comes into the room and there's like four of you on a team and you're sitting there and someone walks in and shoots somebody and then pulls the dead body out and they come back and say, hey, you're safe. We didn't shoot you. You're great. (laughs) You know, keep your heads down. Well, I mean... Really, you know, yeah. and that's a dramatic example. But I think like, you know, when you damage someone's team equilibrium um, in something so dramatic, it is like a loss or or a death in some cases. Um, so, yeah, yeah. the
1: system, the system that you live, survive within has been cracked open.
0: Yes. And that sense of safety, too, has been has been interrupted. And I think most of us get that we could be laid off, but nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. There you go. <laughs> Monty Python. Fans right, thank
1: out there. you. Sorry for interrupting. No,
0: no, no. It's okay. I mean, I think it's a great question. Okay. Like that is another piece of this is just having awareness that, um, things that don't necessarily happen directly to you can impact you. We call it vicarious experiencing or vicarious trauma okay. in the biz. Uh, and it's, it's the idea that by empathetically connecting with people who are going through their own trauma, some of that can, 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 really spread onto you. And you can start to experience these minor versions of traumatic effects just by witnessing it happening in real time.
1: Yeah. Okay. All right. So how do we create the stabilization?
0: Well, I'll tell you some of what I have done and what I've seen other people uh, in the counseling world do. The first thing you can do is acknowledge how crazy everything is. Trying to pretend like stuff is, is normal or like it's all going to be okay. You weren't laid off. That is That, is, that backfires typically. Um, so it, people want to be acknowledged. They want to know that you see what they see. And um, I would say to people, don't toe the company line. I understand that you're a okay. represent, representative in some cases of the management team, but it is worse to try to pretend like what is happening is acceptable uh, when it is not. You can, okay. you can try to couch things and, and rephrase it and say sort of like, I hear you and here's why they might be doing that. But it is just good sometimes to say, yeah, that's crazy. I would never have done that. Um, right. The second thing I would say to do is set expectations around the team. This is the time to okay. protect them. We talk about Scrum Masters as the shield sometimes to teams, um, but yeah. you need to actually do that when the going gets tough. And that's not just about not letting managers sometimes see what people's individual velocity is. It is setting meetings with mass groups of stakeholders to say, like, this is not acceptable, what's happening, we need to change this, or you're going to see people resigning, or in my case, there's a war, you're not going to get your deliverables on time, set your expectations now, or choose a different path, because I am not going to grind these people down while they're going through a war to get this thing done, that is just really not that important compared to not being bombed, uh, and and fleeing from their homes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a lot to carry around. Uh, it yeah. puts you at risk too, right? Say more. So you've got this team in the Ukraine. Their town's been invaded. There's bombs going off all around them. The company you work for wants them to deliver their product. And it's like, you know, animal farm time. Whoa, with the camera. <laughs> um, but- you're standing up for them and saying, look, they have other priorities right now. You know, maybe we'll get this. The, the software is not the end of the day. But for those executives who are living in a different world, that is their focal point. And, and getting them to empathize with the people, and that, that might be kind of a tall order. And it might put you in harm's way as well.
0: It is. Um, yeah. Okay. You know, I I, at that moment, I think because I was hearing their stories and I'm watching what's happening in the news, um, I was in this place of like, you know, now is the time to take a stand. But yeah, it is always risky, I think, to try to act ethically. But as a agilist who is trying to abide by the, the agile principles, transparency, communication, being honest upfront, being direct, protecting your team, um, trying to act in an ethical way, I think it was my duty. Um, and I, I, I know other Scrum Masters go above and beyond to try to protect um, their colleagues as well, as as much as they can. Uh, and yes, it is definitely a choice. Um, but I can tell you this, that we made our beta release uh, early, and then we are on track to make our, our, G, our general audience release. And I truly believe it is because um, we had each other's backs and we set realistic, sensible timelines and we put up um, barriers and guardrails. Uh, so,
1: okay. All right. So, could you, would you mind sharing a story about the f- team with Ukraine? I know you've got, you know, a lot of experience and they're going through some pretty dramatic stuff. So, what, what, like, what kind of things are happening? So, you
0: know, I remember it was February 24th and, you know, we got word that Russia was invading and my team, they just started going offline. Uh, they were on Slack and they just started, Losing, I I remember that the internet went out briefly, they lost connectivity to the whole, you know, the whole country's infrastructure went down. And so we're, I'm waiting on Slack trying to message my coworkers. And I'm like, are you okay? What's happening? No response, no connection. We have no idea what's happening. And when they come back online, they're fleeing. They're, they're, they're leaving their homes. Um, there were, there 90% of the team was located in Kharkiv, and, you know, we're working on this mobile app. And so we're in conversation every single day, all, all day long. And so they're like jumping on Slack saying
1: we're oh They're, they're jumping
0: on Slack and saying um, my, my home is being bombed. I'm in a bomb shelter right now. Uh, and then they'll go offline for, for 24, 48 hours. And I don't know if they're dead, if Damn. they're alive. Um, and then their colleagues are trying to find them. And they're like, hey, I don't know where this person is. We think that they have gotten out. We think that they're headed on a train, um, but but uh, we're not sure. And so you know, then people would start signing online, and they'd be they'd be logging in for stand up in the middle of all this, and the lights are flickering. And he, the, the what are your impediments? Yes, yeah, what are your impediments? I mean, I'm, I'm like I'm like oh my god, what do I even ask? Russia, uh, Russia is my is impediment. My impediment. <laughs> and they are they are um, unmuting, and he's talking, and he's like, hey, here's what I'm working on, and there's literally explosions, and he's like oh, I'm, I'm really sorry that you can't hear me. I'm like, what? <laughs> I am sorry. Like, I don't, and I, you know, I have no Damn. idea what
1: to do. Would you like a gift card? Well, yeah.
0: we like, we're going to do a, a team <laughs> lunch today. And like, you know, and he's in a shelter, like a bomb shelter with a bunch of other people still trying to show up to work. And then I'm, I'm talking with my colleagues wow. and they have left their pets behind. They don't know where their, their dogs are or the cats are. They are trying to catch up with their family that maybe left earlier. Um, One of my team members went to another part of Eastern Europe that was safe to kind of have a safe haven. They were actually traveling there right before the invasion kicked off, but they couldn't get back to their family. They were stuck. Uh, And and so they're trying to figure out what's happened to the rest of their team. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, what do I do to have my teams back in this moment while people are deciding if they're going to go to war? If they're going to leave their job or if they are going to let the first yeah. wave of the invasion happen and then they'll leave the project and take up arms and so this was a huge learning moment for me
1: and management's like where's
0: <laughs> well our they're release? like where's our release but they but th- <laughs> at least thankfully i do have some really kind thoughtful people um but you know they have to answer to people as well and so they're saying like what's going on what do we do and i am you know, I'm in protective mode because I feel pretty useless at this point. Yeah. I feel like, what can I, I can't do anything. And, and here's my colleagues and they're being shot at and they're being bombed and their families being taken and rounded up and, and put in deportation camps. Um, and I'm just this like scrum master yeah. dude. Like, w- well, the one thing I could do was have their back. And so, you know, we sent out a, yeah. sent out an email to all of the stakeholders and said, I need to, I need you all in a room right now. Like we need to get on Zoom and have a conversation about what's going to happen next. And so we, we get into the room and we start to talk about what is happening. And I explain to them, I don't know where, you know, X is, I don't know if Y is still alive. We need to put this release on hold. Like we need to check our expectations at the door. We will work and we will do the best that we can. If people are still around, like, I don't know if the internet is going to go out, if there will be no infrastructure in Ukraine. So like, if there's no infrastructure and there's no internet, they're not going to, they're not going to be working. Um, and they were, they were very responsive they said immediately, like, yes, let's push back the release. We're, we're going to change the timeline. You do whatever you need to do. And that empowered me to really be a better um, delivery manager in this case. I don't know, honestly, what I would have done if they said, uh, no, um, you know, make it work. Uh, but they were they were very understanding. Um, but, you know, emotionally, what do you do with someone who yeah. like pets were were bombed their house is burned out the pet thing i can't uh, even you know like, they're they're literally not sure like all these towns are being invaded and they're just fleeing for their lives but they're also in retro with you and you're like well what's in your way what what got in your way this spring
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. vladimir
0: putin sad <laughs> i mean um, and they were they were i mean i've never worked with a more professional group of people I, I just, I, I haven't, um, this, this team that I uh, got to work with, um, they're just, yeah, I wish I had that type of resilience. Um, so wow. serious respect to them, That's but awesome. I've never, I was not prepared for something like this. Um, and I certainly know that, you know, you can't be prepared for, for being in a war and being invaded. Um, but this was like, how do you, you know, this this is outside of the scrum,
1: scrum guide. Well, Yeah, but it gives you an amazing opportunity and it sounds like you completely rose to it of the question of how do you show up for your team is like completely different level for this.
0: I hope so. You know, I I hope so. I try to reflect on it. And I like I said earlier, I didn't get everything right. I was um, because they were trying to be distracted by the work. I was like, well, maybe I shouldn't ask them questions. Maybe they don't want to talk about it right now because they clearly want to be distracted. And I probably let my fear get of like getting it wrong get in the way. I probably could have come back to them. Or I know I could have come back to them earlier and said, you know, what do you need? Um, and when I eventually did that, they were like, you know, Kevlar, Kevlar stuff and these are the things we need. I mean, I was trying to help them with that. And that's where I, I went. I, I started to go to my manager and say, hey, you worked at Lockheed. Do you have any connects for bulletproof vests? I started looking into, like, police um, overstock. Like, do they have anything in stock that they're not using, police departments? Um, and then we figured out that you can't ship level three ballistic armor overseas unless you're, like, State Department. Um, but you can't Amazon, you can't Amazon that out. You can't be like, hey, Jeff Bezos, you have, like, uh, you know, some... Some AK forty sevens that we could ship, please, you know, Prime, yeah. Amazon Prime. Um, yeah. So, uh, but that 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 was how I showed up. I didn't necessarily say like, you know, how are you doing today? Some cases I did. Um, I would ask that, but not about the war. Uh, but other times it was just like, hey, I'm I'm trying to find those vests. We're trying to track them down. Are you like, are you okay? Do you need to take yeah. the day? Um, and that was that was enough. Um, and so I would say, try not to be too hard on yourself when you're in these positions. Um, because there isn't really a clear rule book on what
1: to do. So for that team who is in such a state of crisis, how do you help them maintain any level of high performingness? I mean, is it, cause it, I feel like part of the job is to help them be predictable and you have no ability to be predictable in that kind of situation.
0: Well, that's where I love Scrum a little bit in the sense that, you know, they they <laughs> kind of say, you know, do what you need to do in the moment. And right. so I threw a little bit of the rule book out the window and I kept the the principles of Agile in mind when I did this work. And so, okay. you know, I gave the team space. I was telling people, don't show up. You're, you're not feeling good or like you're not in it today. Take the day off. And these were contractors. Um, but the, the management team had given us latitude after we really pled uh-huh. our case to them to, to, to do what needed to be done and to a, like, yeah, deliver, but like do it in an ethical way. And so we could, then I could say, yeah, take the day off, um, or take what you need or don't show up. And ultimately giving them that space when they needed it in the beginning, they then started coming back and saying, okay, now I want work because I want to be distracted. And wow, they, they went, overboard of like just gang chugging work to get through it because they needed that. They wanted a distraction and they wanted that mission of getting the work done to be something that they could rally behind when their whole world felt like it was falling apart.
1: Wow. Okay. Now what were, I know you mentioned before when we were talking before the interview about the gift cards, could you talk about some of the missteps that you made?
0: (laughs) Um, well, so not every country uses the same type of gift cards. Uh, (laughs) And if your country is under attack, you have no way of, of getting gift cards delivered to you in some cases.
1: Um, we're getting Amazon to right, show up. Getting Amazon
0: to show up. Um, <laughs> and sometimes if you're like, let's say in, in my case, we're on stand up and, you know, uh, this person is their their lights are flickering and you can hear the bombs dropping. Giving somebody a twenty five dollar gift card to Grubhub <laughs> Is kind of like a slap in the face, um, but I did it. I tried it and, uh, you know, people were very gracious. Can <laughs> Get
1: some Papa John's. It'll be yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know,
0: uh, pour some Robitussin on it, as Chris Rock would say. Um, I think <laughs> that I was well-meaning. I think that I was trying to follow through on what my leadership had suggested. And I think that I was yeah. like, yeah, this is a great idea um, because I was still stuck in this very American mindset and that like people just don't feel appreciated. So let's give them something monetarily to show them that we appreciate them in a small token, and in their their minds, yeah. they they were they're being very polite. Um, but it was the sense of like this isn't going to do it. Like you know, a twenty five dollar gift card to Amazon to get some detergent or whatever. Like I need I need Kevlar body armor. I need I need access to helmets and 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 rifles, and we need intercontinental ballistic missiles to protect ourselves <laughs> from from Russia's nukes. Like
1: I don't think you can it, get those on Amazon.
0: Right. Um, but <laughs> but at one point. I I did start working with my manager who used to work at Lockheed Martin to try to find um, bulletproof vests. And even though we eventually found out that you can't send level three um, ballistic armor overseas if you're not part of a a government group, uh, my team really appreciated that I was trying to track this stuff down. It didn't even materialize, but trying to do that was a bigger gesture for them than the, the gift card. Um, so sometimes it's just showing up and showing that you care instead of trying to throw, um, like team lunches and things like that at people that's, that can be more valuable.
1: Wow. Okay. So if they're not in the Ukraine back to the pandemic, like what kind of things work there and what doesn't work there?
0: Other good point. Um, ask people what they want. Don't assume. Okay. I really, I really felt coming into this, like, Hey, I've got the skills to handle this and, I think in the early days I did because people were still fairly functional despite what was happening. And and yes, the normal behavioral stuff that you see is happening where people are getting burned out. But as it wore on, those tricks lost their luster. And so I eventually just started saying to people, what do you need? What can I get you? Like How can I help you? And it really became a tailored intervention plan for individuals. Um, and, and of course, just trying to hold the line to be a, a shield as much as you can. But um, they think that was the bigger thing, asking people what they want. And, and I would also say, make it as easy as possible for people to engage.
1: Uh, okay. And that, that can you say more about that? Yeah. Like
0: how to? not everybody is, as you said, at the beginning of this is, is extroverted. Some people are introverted and uh, a big trivia game is, is not going to be a fun thing for people. Some people just want to have a small conversation with one other person on the side to express how they're feeling. People do not want to show up in groups. They do not want to talk about um, you know, what their favorite movies are or if they were stuck in a cabin for a month, what show would they bring along. Like that stuff is is actually stressful for them when there's not a pandemic happening. So, uh to like force them to engage in the ways that we expect um is just uh, it's insensitive. And and I can hear already Old school managers saying, you know, we pay you. Why don't you just like show up and do your job? And I get that. But how is that working out for you? The great resignation, yeah. you're losing a lot of top performers. I think that we really do need to re, uh, revisit how we do management in the workplace and how we do leadership. Not just managing people, but how do we lead people? Uh, and that's just not maximizing what? profits to stakeholders, uh, shareholders, which is important. But but people are right. looking for leaders right now in a time that feels pretty rudderless. And that's an opportunity for for each of us.
1: Well, and if they're in an environment where at home things are kind of chaotic because of everything going on, that the stability that an organization provides can be, could make them even like more committed to the organization.
0: 100%. I will, I will tell you this, the way that my company Elsevier handled um, the, the remote work where they said, we have no idea what's coming. We don't go, go home. Take care of yourselves. You don't need to come back in. We're not going to force you to come back in. Uh, that, that garnered a lot of loyalty. And then repeatedly, when other companies were trying to get people back in using soft trials, our management was coming to us and saying, you know, doing surveys, how many people actually want to come back in? Um, and since most people didn't want to, they then tried to create safe space for people who did Want to come into the office for them to come in one day a week or two days a week and so that level of flexibility was one of the best things the organization did because people started to feel like they weren't being forced to do something dangerous um and yeah that bought that bought some serious loyalty and respect
1: i think for me one of the things that was really amazing i'm 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 a i'm a night owl so i tend to go to bed around three o'clock in the morning and getting to a place where i could i could just work when i wanted to work Mm. And nobody was like clocking me or giving me a hard time about it. I mean, if I had class, I'd obviously show up for class. But beyond that, I work whenever. And that freedom is is really valuable to me. And it made all the other stuff a little more tolerable.
0: Did you find that um, you used that some of that flexibility to take care of yourself?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and that's, and that's what it was all about. Like I can sleep the way my body wants to sleep. I can exercise in the middle of the day if that's when I need to do it so that I can, what it does is it allows me to function more. If I'm thinking of myself as a machine, function more optimally because I can be there to do the work when I'm able to do the work instead of nine to five, when usually two to four, I'm like a zombie anyway.
0: Yeah. Look, we talk about agile for what it does really well. And that the core, core principle is the promotion of flexibility so that we can adapt. like, wasn't this the the perfect time for agile, um, where everything is sort of uncertain and crazy and the old rules don't necessarily apply in the same way. Um, and I think that we get sometimes so stuck in the process, the way that it's written of like, we need to have the stand up and you have, and like, yes, all those things are really valuable, but what's what agile does offer you is this ability to think as critically and flexibly as you need to, to help your team survive and thrive. And that's just what better time to reflect and
1: sort of redo the rule book than now. So does that mean that, I mean, if I take this to the extreme and if I'm being skeptical about Mm -hmm. it, then what I'm hearing is every team just does whatever the hell they want. And your job as a scrum master is now is like, what do you need? Do you want a blanket? Can I get you a sandwich? Like, I mean, there is work that has to get done and I can see where people are going to be like, you know, what is this? Like, summer camp like
0: yeah i would say a couple things one you hired some of the wrong people if when you provide flexible opportunities people just run off and play video games all day take advantage um so you do need
1: but but hold on what if i agree with what you said but i also think when people start to work from home it takes a couple of months to figure that shit out absolutely there is You do play video games. You watch Netflix all day
0: occasionally. 100%. There's nothing wrong with that. But I do want to discourage people from thinking like you can't be compassionate and understanding in the workplace. If you end up running into these behavioral problems over time, sounds like someone goes and plays video games and they miss a meeting and boom, they're done. I mean, you know, the idea of coach, counsel, cut, you work with people over time. And if, if, you know, you're you're coaching and you're counseling and, and they can't, they're not willing to function in a healthy way with the rest of the team, they may not be the right fit mm-hmm. for that team or that workspace. Um, but you know that's that's a conversation. It's a performance management conversation. I, I would I would argue that organizations that act ethically and care for their employees, they build brand loyalty. They build loyalty to the organization. Um, they're weathering mm-hmm. this this chaos better than people that lead with um, with just rigidity. Um, They're just, they're doing better. People are leaving and they're resigning to go to places that are more flexible.
1: Yeah. Okay. So all this stuff is going on and it's not just the pan. I'm thinking mostly about the United States right now. okay. So not just the pandemic, but we have um, all the stuff with black lives matter. We have people learning to adjust to a new way of thinking about gender and identity and all the other things that are going on. And it is a lot of change all at once. And I mean, I, in some cases that there's a nervousness about saying or doing the wrong thing, mm. you're trying to create a safe space for your team amidst all this. And I'm wondering about the toll it takes on you. It's
0: hard, you know, because
1: you're, you're <laughs> carrying a lot more weight than a normally before the pandemic than we would expect a scrum master to be carrying or somebody leading a team to be carrying.
0: Yeah. We, I mentioned vicarious trauma earlier, that idea, you know, that you, can get burned out. I mean, I've had phases of burnout through this whole thing. I've had to, and I had crazy things happen. I mean, my house, we, my house burned down. We had a fire and then and flooded out from the sprinkler system. And my dog passed away in 2021. I mean, this was a, this was a tough year. We, we, um, you know, we got burglarized in the place that we moved into after the fire. And I struggled through that. I mean, we ended up taking a year long road trip, like get on the road, leave Philadelphia, escape the, the, two, one, five area code. Um, remember a bad idea right right Um, (laughs) but I think that the skill set that I have allowed me to have a little more awareness of when I am getting to a place of uh, being ineffectual and saying all right man you need to take the PTO you need to take a take a week Um, or you know I found that hiking is very healing for me so getting out in nature and I um, I'm deliberately moving to a place where there's more hiking a lot of people can't do that. I'm very lucky, um, but what you can do is you can go out and take a walk. You, you can uh, you can sit down and try to do some yoga. You can sit down and watch a funny movie with with uh, um, just by yourself or or with uh, friends. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when this pandemic was happening, uh, my wife and I, both of us are behavioralists. We put this poster up on the fridge, and it was called the Rules of Survival. And are like, you know, forced six-second laughter when you're down. And we would literally do the same. we'd say six-second laugh, and we'd look at each other and go, ha, 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 ha. I mean, super stupid, but, but
1: it works. But it's works. like laughter yoga. It's, it's yeah. a
0: reminder to take care of yourselves. And we would regularly go back to the fridge, um, or we had prompts throughout the house, like, reminding us uh, that, you know, when people, you know, it's this thing – Um, when you get, you know, you get frustrated, it was sort of a reminder that frustration and anger is more about anxiety in a lot of cases. And, you know, it's not to say that you should put up motivational posters all over your digital workspace. Um, but there are absolutely things you can do (laughs) to remind yourself to take care of yourself and to be safe and and not get as burned out, um, as I think is possible in this space. But you're right. It is a serious, um, threat for, for people that are in empathetic roles, and take on an empathetic stance you the world is there's a lot to take in right now and to try to process
1: as somebody who leads a very empathetic life i'm wondering if when you experience that stuff like how deeply it hits with the work that you do and your background you've got to be like a, an emotional sponge kind of you you do get
0: the opportunity to practice getting better at not being a sponge or turning it on and turning it off. Okay. Um that comes with practice, that level of awareness and also sort of learning how to to modulate a little bit and say, okay. um, I am hearing this, but I'm not gonna take it on. Um, my team in Ukraine, I am I can't take on what is happening yeah. to them. I don't know really what's going on. Um in a deep way because I'm not there. I can empathize with them. I can really feel this this anger and frustration for what has happened to them and the country. Um, yeah. But it, it is not useful at a certain time. At a certain time and place, it's not useful to take on all that pain. Um, you become, like, sort of like what you're hinting at, you become ineffectual. You become angry and burned out and frustrated and then your empathy reduces. Um, and it's this is very yeah. common amongst uh, social workers. Um, and counselors that they they hit a point where they're no longer effective because they've heard and seen so much, and then you really have to work to undo some of that that um that PTSD that does occur over a long yeah. period of time
1: okay now with the with the restoring of yourself, this is something that' just I'm always curious about. <laughs> Is that something that you knew how to do already? Or is that something that over the years you've had to like through trial and error, figure out like, these are the things I have to do. And this is the way I turn the corner on this particular issue. I'm having right
0: now. Trial and error, like you mentioned high trial care. and error. Okay. <laughs> I had a lot of bad coping habits, I think for a number of years and, um, they just didn't work. They caused more problems than they, they solved. And eventually things like martial arts, which I was introduced to by my stepfather when I was much younger um, as a, as a stress relief or things like hiking, uh, or, you know, or watching funny, you know, watching Ted Lasso and like, just like letting your emotions out. Um, those are all things that I kind of picked up over time. And in some cases I like read blogs or I read books about how to deal with, uh, these emotions better so that I could be a good professional. Um, and so yeah, it's a learned okay. skill for sure.
1: Okay. So it, in sort of at the end of all of it, do you see a significant, I mean, obviously there's differences in circumstances between what's going on in the Ukraine and what's going on with your teams, not in the Ukraine. Um, how much of a difference is there in how you have to approach those groups of people? Cause you've had to reset everything you're doing when you're interacting with both. Right?
0: Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think the core level of, of behavior and skills kind of stay the same showing care, um, asking people how they're doing, uh, making sure that you are not like when you're frustrated with something outside of the team, you don't bring that into the team as much as possible. I think all those old truisms still exist, but the way in which you apply them might be different because we're in this digital space in this digital world. And I will also, I think it's important to point out that culture now plays such a deeper role than it did when we were co-located in specific spots. Um depending on you know what your demographic was like where you lived i have team members from right. india and china uh and the ukraine and people from philadelphia new jersey and in the midwest in california um and everybody is different you know but talking about your feelings at work can be kind of an american phenomenon and not all parts of the mm-hmm. usa even express grief the same Um, and I kept assuming that the Ukrainian, (laughs) you said Philly and the Midwest. Right. right, Very different. Like, you know, when I, when I would do trainings back in the day in Philadelphia and then I would go out to Minneapolis, whoa, really different communication styles. People opened up in different ways for different reasons. Like just don't assume. Um, and you know, the, the Ukrainian team handled stress really differently than the American team did. Like when, when we were hit by COVID in the U.S., a lot of my team members were like, I want time off. I I don't want to. You know, I don't want to focus on work. And the Ukrainian team members were like, "Give me all the work I can have. I don't, I don't want to talk about this stuff. I just want to like, I'm going to get in the work. That is my mission. I'm going to get it done." Yeah. Um. And it was just like, okay, whatever, like whatever you need, we're going to make this work. And by being flexible, both teams uh, really thrived. Um. But I had to try really different approaches to support them. Um. And so uh, you know, that's what I would say is like, listen to your team. It's obviously. Like you're yeah. still at a company. We still have to do work, but the way in which you do that work can be flexible.
1: It's, it's interesting in that it sounds like for the Ukraine team, the work was the escape. And for the other teams here, the is, which is something that I was really puzzled by with the pandemic was, and people would want that time off. I'm like, what are you going to do? Like, yeah. <laughs> escape <laughs> to what? There's nowhere to go. Um, but I guess everybody handles this stuff in their own way. And I, I, I guess maybe this is another thing like for me I would worry that if you say you need time off like you're just going to be idle and you're just going to sit around and you should work but but that's me getting in the way of letting somebody express what they need and respect
0: yeah them. and I want to go back and say again to me you know to be really clear I there are there were um, uh, performance issues that we had to deal with and there were some people that got let go not not on this particular team in the in the war zone but um, throughout this pandemic, I mean, we had people that were working two jobs, like they had this job, and then they had another job that they were actually mm-hmm. doing. Uh, and you know, those things have to be addressed, but you can do it in a way that doesn't you're not just like walking into the room and shooting that person and pulling them out. Like you can do it in a very right. careful, thoughtful way uh, that doesn't destroy destroy the team's equilibrium. Um, but, yeah, that stuff is touchy. It's like how much do you cool. use coercive force versus, being an empathetic kind soul and like finding some sort of mix in the balance. And that's me having to learn how to manage and lead differently um, than when I was taught like back in the nineties, because you can go and sit in a room with somebody and have a much more easy, empathetic conversation, but over zoom and their camera's not on You gotta, you gotta try things a little differently.
1: So, okay. There's two things that I wanted to say. I think the first thing I wanted to say is that I know that for me, It's, it's, if I have somebody where there's a performance issue, it's trying to remember to have respect for them, even if I feel like they're not having respect for me. Like there's a reason they're doing that. Right. And respect that they have, they're making the best choice they can for their circumstances. And it, maybe it's not helping me out, but they're not doing it like just to piss me off.
0: Um, It's rarely about us. Like we, we, I think as humans, we are very, we're pretty self-centered, right? Like that's our. Our whole yes. mantra, you know, it's everything in the world sort of revolves around us. Um, and that's like our mental yeah. model. But most of the time, the stuff that people are doing in the workplace has nothing to do with us. And that can help um, yeah. to kind of approach it like the way you're saying, just like not taking it as personally.
1: One thing that I found is that where, if I'm in a room full of people teaching in a class, I am, and I realize this it was like a hard term when the pandemic began. I never realized how dependent I was on all the silent, communication that i was absorbing the the body language the facial expressions all that stuff and it's completely gone in zoom even when people have their camera on they have that you know smooth over my features thing and what i found was i was starved for information and like the the thing that's so exhausting about that medium of being online on camera is i'm like scraping to try to figure out what's happening with the other person, and I can't tell. And it's almost like you're just not getting enough oxygen. So that's like another another toll that that whole approach takes when you're distributed. People probably don't even think about it, is that the reason you get so fatigued is not just you're on camera, like you said, and it's stressful to be on camera, but you're trying to get information that isn't there. You can't see it. That was the hardest part for me at Switching Over is I didn't, I had no, and when I went back the first time I taught a class, I felt like somebody who'd been sent off to rehab and then got put back in a room and they were like, here's all your drugs. Hey, I was it's, like, it's, yes! it's so
0: hard. I, I, I hear you like a hundred percent. You know, when I'm, I'm a, faci- I was a facilitator for a really long time and I, I started to yeah. think of it as like conducting an orchestra. Right. And, and the, the, exactly. my tools, like 90% of what I was doing was like watching people's, which way they're, they're turned in their chair. How are their, how are their legs yep. crossed? What are they doing with their hands? How are they, are breathing? they, are they fidgeting? Yeah. I can't see any of that stuff. And I, I mean, I, even with the tone, it's like sometimes people's microphones are, are kind of messed up. Like you just, you're, I really feel like I'm sword fighting blind with a hand tied behind my back. Um, and yeah, you know, you, You got to find other, got to find yeah, and no sword. And you got to find other ways to try to figure out what's going on with people. And sometimes, man, I'm like, I'm looking in Jira comments to like see what people say and their tone. I'm like watching what they're saying in Slack. I'm looking for what emojis they attach to people's comments. I'm like, okay, that got that got a bunch of like hands clapping, or like that only got one thumbs up. Maybe people aren't interested in that. And I feel like I'm like a code breaker in like the Enigma program, or or an Instagram influencer, right? Exactly. (laughs) yes that was a great description you know um instagram influencer and and so the way in which i looked for to determine team health has even changed um and the the types of communication has shifted so dramatically and that's why i said earlier we got to throw out the old rule book i mean like yes that's being a little dramatic but a lot so much has changed so much has changed uh with these yeah. remote tools and remote teams and distributed multicultural groups um, of individuals. Well, it's just different.
1: I want to ask about that too, because if everything you just said, you know, looking in the comments and things like that, absolutely. But if your team consists of a German, somebody from Philadelphia and somebody from Oklahoma, forget about it. I mean, every the way that the, the language is encoded, the way that people communicate... I don't. I mean, how do you figure out what the hell's going on?
0: <laughs> it's it's really hard. Um, I do have someone from Germany and people from France and Spain and in India and China. And like the it's it is. Um, we had a lot of conflict in the beginning. I mean, we had a lot of conflict, and we have come to learn each other. Um, but our our storming period, as people love the like storming, forming, norming, the Tuckman model. Like, yeah. ugh, it was so much longer. Than I think in some homogenous teams because you have to learn the the subcontext and you don't have shared context. I was trying to like have people talk about their favorite TV shows and I had somebody um, who was from India and they they live in America but they're like I don't I don't watch American TV and you guys are talking about a lot of American TV shows like that's totally he's like that's totally cool he's like but. You know, you guys are like really missing a whole category of stuff that I'm into that you guys, you just don't know anything about and that's okay, but I I don't really watch the superhero stuff. And I was like, oh yeah, duh. I mean, obviously, um, yeah. but you know, and I, I tend to think of myself as pretty culturally competent, but I, I've learning, I'm learning that I'm,
1: I got a lot to learn. And that, I guess that's kind of a good thing too, is that it's as hard as everything has been, it, I'm sure that you are. 10 times better at your job than you were before.
0: Oh, man. Uh, yeah. I, I really feel like what I knew before all of this crisis kicked off, I mean, I've just everything has changed. Um, the way I view the job, the way I view how, you know, we do scrum at the enterprise level, what works and what doesn't, what are, what are the ways that we can uphold yeah. the agile principles? Just my, my whole perspective has changed as we move into this time of uncertainty And so, yeah, this has caused me to have a lot of self-reflection. I think any good agilist takes on regular, uh, self-reflection.
1: Yeah. Just, there's this part of me that wants to be able to go back to the me before the pandemic and just like, bless your heart. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's so cute. The way you solve your problems. Um, so can we maybe put together like a recap of the suggestions you have for folks about what they should do or what they could do? Um, when they're trying to help their teams maintain any kind of sense of cohesiveness or stability in this world where everything is like the floor. is Yeah.
0: Let's, let's do it. Um, Number one, be prepared to make mistakes. Uh, I tried asking questions up front. People didn't want to talk about it. I then didn't ask questions uh, for too long. I tried techniques that didn't work. Um, just be prepared. It's okay. And you're skilled yeah, in this I'm, too. I'm,
1: like you're not like a regular scrum master. You're somebody who's I trained in trauma
0: this counseling. I spoke at the international trauma <laughs> conference. Like I, I, I ostensibly should know what I'm doing. Um, but the reality <laughs> is that even for trained people, we don't know what we're doing because this is an unprecedented time. Um, and so be prepared to make mistakes. That is not only acceptable, it is desirable. It's incremental improvement folks. That's like our whole thing. Right. Um, Two, let people come as they are like, no, don't let people do two jobs at one time. But when people are, are, you know, good at their jobs and they care about the work, if they can't make it to stand up or retro or refinement, or they need to take the day or they need to take a couple of days, if they mostly show up and do what they need to do, let them do it. Um, you know, don't sometimes also recognize, don't come like Richard Simmons or Tony Robbins with the high energy. Sometimes people are really low and it is okay to let them be low. Um, there's a lot of like what's known as toxic positivity awareness coming out now that people try to be so to- uh, positive yeah. all the time. And that can actually be damaging for people that are feeling lonely and burned out. and They don't want to hear how good things can be. They're like, my life sucks right now. Don't try to Right. Well,
1: especially because they
0: know exactly. You're lying. Um, so, like, let's just be real. <laughs> Let them come as they are. You be real, also. Um, the whole like era of yeah. the of the team cheerleader, I think, can kind of die a little bit um, if it was up to me. Okay. Um, you know, and so three elicit a really strong mission and vision project statement. Product in this era, when things are changing so fast, they need to be laser focused. Um, and what I would say is having that strong mission really helped my teams through the pandemic uh, and then the war. That was something they could rally behind. But if you have like a kind of wishy-washy mission mission or vision of why you're doing the work, jump on that right away. Try to get that nailed down. Try to make sure the team really understands it. And if you can't, try to connect them as much as possible with user direct user feedback. Because hearing okay. how people are using the product or um, how they feel about the software can make them feel like there's like it's real. We're, our work matters. Someone on the other side of this is using it. Um, and that's better than, you know, when they feel like they're ticket factories, how demoralizing is that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, set boundaries around the team, whether it's with the immediate like directors or other d- scrum masters, um, or it is up to the, the VP or executive level. Uh, when things get really hot, sometimes you need to set boundaries and that may be a little risky for you but i would say that all of us who are, are agilists we've signed on a little bit for some of that risk to push back it's our job yeah. um, to push back you know you don't don't go crazy don't get yourself fired I, you know i heard was it jeff watts a dead scrum master is a, is a useless scrum master something like that i'm, I'm totally yeah. murdering that sorry jeff uh, if you ever hear this um uh feeling very optimistic <laughs> there um but you know the reality is that you you got to be there to do the job so take the risk but don't get yourself fired um and uh i would say drop the formal scrum stuff if it is not appropriate there are times when you may need to flip okay. over to kanban and just like say like okay we're not going to push the time box or you may do away with stand up altogether for a while um I, I i don't know when that would happen i'm not i can't i do not an example for that but just if you listen to the team first and foremost that is my last piece yeah. of advice listen to the team the whole point of of this agile thing is to be focused on the people and the interactions over the tools and the process and so like really yeah. do it and i think especially at the enterprise level where we get so used to reporting on status and adhering to the process because You know, that's just the rule and it's part of this big machine, but that can be damaging in times of crisis. And so sometimes you do just need to hear what the team needs and then hold that line for them. Um, And that can be the most valuable thing we can do as Agilists. Awesome. That's it, right? I mean, I would say this to anyone that's listening, six months, you know, into this war, our native app release is going to be early. Um, You know, we went through all these things and we, it's been hard, but we survived and you can do this. I mean, I had no idea what I was doing coming into this and we kind of made it up as we went and it's possible. So listen to your instincts and listen to your team, uh, err on the side of, of being empathetic and, and you'll get through this.
1: And and at the moment, I believe the town they're in is back in their control, yes, it is. right? The um, control yeah, frame, right? they
0: are thrilled. They're not able to move back in yet, uh, but they, they've they retaken the town and several other territories and um, they're, they're really, they're feeling very hopeful.
1: Optimistic. Good. This is awesome. Um, I really appreciate you making time for this and, and for the work that you're doing too. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to track you down?
0: LinkedIn is always a great way to reach me. Uh, so I'll put that, I'll put that in there. Um, and then, you know, by, by email as well.
1: Okay. I'll make sure that's in the show notes. So dude, thank you very much. This was yeah, really it's
0: my fun. pleasure. I always love chatting with you, Dave. <music> But the new way's what you need my jobs to make that switch from old to new suck less for you than it did for me Here I'm drunk in Radio. Whoa